Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. <clears throat> As we continue through this great chapter of the Hall of Faith, say, where men did the great feats, miracles, by the power of God and faith in Him. Hebrews chapter 11, I'm going to read verses 23 uh, through 29. The Bible says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for his respect and the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do were drowned. So the title of the message this morning is The Priority of Faith. The Priority of Faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your word. We thank you that we can have assurance that we have the very words of God. Thank you for your promises that you've made and given us. Inspired. The word is inspired of thee. And we thank you that you said heaven and earth shall pass away. My word shall not pass away. So we pray that as we look into the Word of God today, that we realize that we are considering the very words of God, written for our admonition and our learning. So I pray that you just speak to our hearts, have your will and way, and may you be glorified. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> your life is full of choices. And we have to choose what we're going what is going to be the priority in our life. And we see here that Moses, those was a man that had to make some choices, just as all of us have to do. But as we consider this this morning, I want to notice several things. First of all, we see that Moses was born with a purpose. In verse 23 it says, "By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child." And they were not afraid of the king's commandments. You know, as parents that loved the Lord, Moses' parents believed that this child was given to them by God for a purpose. And that purpose, of course, for everybody that's born into this world, the purpose of everyone, the, why God made man was to fellowship with him and glorify him, to serve him. You know, in Acts 7, verse 20, the Bible says, In which time Moses was born, was exceeding fair, and nourished up in his father's house three months. That word nourished means with the predominant idea of forming the mind. Now, it tells us here he was nourished up three months. And we know from the full account in, in Exodus concerning Moses' and his birth that you know, at three months, his mother put him in the ark, the little ark she made of bulrushes and, and set him in the bulrushes along the flags by the river. And, and then Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe herself in the river, and, and he started crying. And, and so she sent, they fetched that ark, and, and, and she's going to take it to herself. And, and, and Moses' sister went to him, was watching, went to him and said uh, uh, to her and said, uh, would you like a Hebrew woman to nurse it for you? And she said yes, and she actually paid Moses' mother to nurse him till he was weaned. You talk about how only God can do something, certain things like that, you know. Anyway, so, you know, he was hit three months, but then after that, she continued to nurse him. You know, it may have been up to three to five years old. We don't know for sure. But that's the length of time that Jochebed, Moses' mother, would have had him. And it says that she was, he was nourished up in his father's house. Now, in Acts 7.20, says three months. You know, at three months old, she was already putting in his mind 
His purpose in life. That you were given to us by God and God has a purpose for your life. You know, parents, some parents have this idea that children can't understand things till they start learning to talk. That is not true. That is not true. They, science is finally catching up with the Bible and finding out that children are learning in the womb. They can hear in the womb. Of course, the Bible told us that you know, John the Baptist leaped in the womb when he heard the, the, the voice of the, the mother of his Lord. As parents, we need to do everything in our power to form the mind of young children. By an attitude and a desire and willingness in, their, in our own hearts to be used with the Lord in the greatest capacity possible. You know, a holding back, a holding back is a lack of pure devotion. It, it really is idolatry. You know, we don't, we as, one of the things we, we as parents don't want to do is try to affect how the Lord may use our children. You know, Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. The way he should go. And, and, and all children don't have the same, same, same uh, 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 way in which they serve the Lord. You know, there's different uh, uh, administrations in, in the Lord's church and so on and so forth. So not everybody's going to serve the Lord in the same way, but everybody is going to serve the Lord. So, But we ought to train up a child in the way that they should go, that particular child. Of course, this was taught. This was the this was taught to the Hebrews uh, in in Deuteronomy chapter six, Deuteronomy chapter six, and verses four through seven. <clears throat> the Lord or Moses, under the uh, by inspiration, says, "Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might." And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. It was said of Abraham in Genesis 18, verse 19, that he would command his children and his household after him, that they would keep the way of the Lord. The way of the Lord. So Moses' parents formed his mind for the purpose of being used by the Lord. And we must teach our children of the power and glory of our great God. Put in their minds the accounts of Noah. And when men were evil and violent and rebellion against God, and, and God said in His justice that He would destroy them with a flood. But God, being gracious, gave them 120 years to repent through the preaching of Noah. You know, the preaching of Noah for 120 years was you need to repent. You know, one of the most important truths our children need to understand from this account is except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. It's not that, oh, we have this pretty little ark and all the animals are in it. No, the whole, the whole purpose for the record that we have in Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8 is that God does judge sin. And unless you repent, you will perish. God is holy, God is righteous. You know, it's a a vivid reminder that life and death are in the hand of the Lord. You you can make choices about what you do while you're in this life, but you can't make a choice about where you're going to... You can't make a choice about where you're going to spend eternity if you rebel against God. God decides where you go based on your choice. You know, the mighty acts of Moses, how God protected his people from Egypt. As Jacqueline sang this morning. How he provided them in the wilderness. Fed them with a daily ration that was sufficient. That was enough. 
know, that God has a purpose. You know, God has a purpose for every one of us and it's revealed to us through the preaching of His Word and the reading and thinking on the Scriptures. You know, as parents, it's our responsibility to protect their minds from the corruption of the world. TV or media should not be used as a babysitter for hours where the world forms the minds or programs their minds. That's why they call it programming of our children for the love and vanity of this wicked old world that lies in wickedness. Yeah, we need to turn off the TV and the internet and all that vanity and read books that will enrich their lives. You know, Romans 9.11, every child has a purpose. Romans 9.11 says this, For the children, this is speaking of Esau and Jacob, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, Who has saved us and called us on holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. It was said of Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctify thee, and I ordain thee a prophet unto the nations. You know, parents and would-be parents, God has a purpose for every life and it's vitally important that we form in our children's mind that they have a purpose given them of God. And they will give an account to God for their life. You know, we need to fill their minds with the history of God's people. You know, there's, there's, there's the... There's books of the Bible that are called the historical books. Now, those are all recorded for us for our learning. They're examples. They're examples of how God deals with people when they do right and when they sin. You know, we're, we're looking at Sunday school class, adult Sunday school class, Brother Hoyle is looking at how the, you know, he says, why didn't, why didn't God just, why don't we just remove the king of Israel? I mean, he isn't obeying God anyway. Why don't we just remove him? You know, God is gracious. God is merciful. He's long-suffering. He gives every man an opportunity. You know, with good reading, it will enrich our lives, their lives. Give them knowledge of living life. You know, someone asked Warren Buffett about his secret to his success. And Buffett pointed to a stack of books. And this is what he said, quote, read 500 pages like this every day. That's how knowledge works. It builds up like compound interest. All of you can do it, but I guarantee you not many will. He says, the decision to start reading was the most important decision in my life, unquote. Now, I'm not trying to be a Warren Buffett. I'm not going to read the same books he reads. But what did Josh, God tell Joshua to do to be successful? You ever think about it? You know what he told him to do? Hey, Joshua, read. Meditate. Read. Meditate. Read. Meditate. That means think on it. Ponder it. He told him that, to do that over and He said to do it day and night. That thou mayest observe. He said, you're to read the word of God day and night, so thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. Because they're going to build up in your life. Just like Bubba said, like compound interest. It's going to become part of you. You see, the greatest book of wisdom in the world is the Bible. And what you put in your mind is what you think on. And this is what Moses' parents impressed or formed in his mind. Some, some, most people don't want to read the Bible because they're in love with the temporal, the vain and the wicked. It convicts of sin. The second thing we see here is that he is confronted 
with a priority. He's going to make a choice. In verse 24 it says, By faith Moses, when he has come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughters. Now I want you to notice that phrase, when he was come to years. You know, his parents had put in his mind, informed in his mind, about his purpose, that God had given him life, and he had a purpose for life, that he needed to serve God, and that God is the reward of them that diligently seek him. And this was all put in his mind by his parents. But now he's come to years. You know, the interesting thing about this word years, it's a little interesting when I looked it up. It's translated, it's used 195 times in the New Testament, and 150 times it's translated great. So you could read it this way, when he became great. In other words, he's no longer a little boy. He's a man. He no longer is directed by his parents or Pharaoh's daughter, who was like his mother. He's a man now. He's had to take responsibility for his own choices. He has to make his own decisions. He has to determine his own destiny. You know, in Exodus 2, verses 11 and 12, it says, And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown. They went out unto his brethren, looked on their burdens, and he spied an Egyptian smiting in Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way, and when he saw there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. So when he was grown, see this, he's making a choice here. In Acts 7, 22 to 24, it says, And Moses was learning all the wisdom of the Egyptian, and was mighty in words and deed. And when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him, and avenged him that was oppressed, and smote the Egyptian. See, there comes a time in everyone's life where we are brought to a crossroads, and we must make choices. The choices of our parents will no longer be sufficient. They'll no longer protect us and no longer provide for us. We have to make our own choices. We have to man up, if you will, and prioritize what is of value to us and take responsibility for the choices we make. Because you are going to answer for the choices you make. You can blame your parents all you want to, but you are going to be responsible when you stand before God for the choices that you make. Yeah, I had a preacher that I used to get some emails from, and he often he would you know, send out, and, and many times one of the things I've seen is a reference to people saying, well, my parents made me go to church, therefore, you know. What wimps? Did they make you brush your teeth? Did you make you go to bed? Did they make you go to school? Did they make you, you know. But they made me go to church, therefore I am not going to church. No, you're going to have to take responsibility for your own choices. You can't blame your parents. You know, we have to decide for ourselves whether we will repent and serve God or live for the pleasures of life. That is to simply do what I want to do without regard for my Creator, to live for the treasures of this world, things that are pleasing to me, that are temporal and vain, and the things that will only be enjoyed in this life. And then die without God, without hope. That was a choice Moses had. You see, Moses is at a crossroads. He could not avoid that choice any longer. He had to choose. You know, his people were enslaved. They were being persecuted. He had to pick a side. He could no longer be neutral. It was time for him to decide for himself the life and purpose his parents formed in his mind or the life he'd been enjoying in Egypt as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
And you and I have to decide. If God is God, then serve Him. And if Baal is God, then serve Him. That's what Elijah told the people of Israel. But I want you to notice several things Moses did here. First of all, in his choices, by faith, he refused the honor of the world. Verse 24 says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. To refuse means to not to accept. He chose not to accept it. It really means to reject it. Now, this, was, this was a very monumental choice in his life. It was a choice that cost him greatly. In Acts 7, 22, again, Moses was learning all the wisdom of the Egyptians and mighty in words and deeds. Uh, you know, see, he was, he, was a, he was a mighty man in Egypt. You know, after, after being weaned by his mother, as I mentioned, probably three to five years old, he was sent to Pharaoh's daughter's house, who raised him as her son. It was in Pharaoh's house he learned of the power, the prestige, all the pleasurable life of the palace, and, and, and all this living for the temporal, and all that the world has to offer. Living for the present. I mean, he had it all. You know, the world does have some pleasures to offer. But as verse 25 says, they're pleasures of sin for a season. In other words, they're temporal. They're short-lived. You know, the drinking commercials make drink- drinking look glamorous. They don't tell you about the guy the people who die with cirrhosis of the liver, the children killed, or people killed through drunk driving accidents, the children that are beaten by a father who comes home drunk or a wife, or a child that's left destitute. Because her parents have died from drinking. And we could go on and on and on about all these things. You know, like Moses, at some point in life, everyone else has to decide who we will serve. Joshua 24, 15, Joshua challenged the children of Israel and he said, If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, No man can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. can't do it. 1 John 2.15 says, Love not the world, neither things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. See, Moses chose not to accept the honor of being called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You see, he was rejecting the praise of men, the fame of men, for the honor of what God had for his life. Which is to come. Second thing we see is by faith, he chose to be ill-treated over the easy life. Notice in verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. The word there, suffer affliction, means to be ill-treated in company with, to share persecutions, or come into fellowship with ills. See, his choice of refusing to be called the son of favor's daughter, also he, what he was choosing was to, be, to, be, to share in the persecutions with his own people, the enslavement of his own people. 
into sharing their afflictions. You know, as he considered the world around him with all the abundance of Egypt, and, and yet, you know, the things he's seeing is the rich die as the poor without hope. You know, if you, if you are, have some sense about you, you know, you can look at the world and, and you can see you know, how the rich prosper and, and it seems like everything's going so good and, and they have a, a pleasure and pleasant life. But one thing is certain, they die just like the poor people die. Like the drunk or the drug addict on the street, they die without hope, without God. And the pleasures of the world pass away. They're gone like the chaff of the summer freshening floor. So as he considers these things, you know, his father and, father and mother had put in his mind concerning the promises of God, concerning his fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He chose to share in the temporary ill treatment the temporary suffering of the people and I want you to think about this phrase the people of God you see you can have all the pleasures of this world or you can share in the afflictions of the people of God but the people of God have something the world doesn't have have hope there's no hope for the world there's no hope of life after death there's no promises there were no promises given to the Egyptians as there were promises given to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob the fathers of the children of Israel there were promises given to them and it wasn't just promises of land it was promises of everlasting life See, when you think about being the people of God, if we are of God, we are eternal. Ecclesiastes 3.14 says this, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. So when God establishes a relationship with someone, He establishes it forever. It's not temporary as the things of this world. You know, I know that whatsoever thing what God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it, that man should fear before him. But the things of the world, they pass away. Again, 1 John 2, 16 17, for it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. See, Moses came to understand that as he's analyzing things, he came to understand that these, the, all, these, the, all this honor and glory and this pleasure in Egypt is going to pass away. It's temporal. But the promises given to my enslaved brethren are eternal. They're eternal. And Egypt weighed in the balance was found wanting without hope. The promises of God are eternal. And see, really what he did was, by faith, he compared accounts. Look at verse 26. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches and treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of reward. That word esteeming means to consider, to deem, or to account, or to think. So Moses is he's comparing, it's like comparing accounts, okay? And thinking. All right, so let's let's analyze Egypt. All the wealth, the education. You know, Egypt was the greatest nation on earth at that time. They had the greatest centers of learning. They had the greatest military might. They were the richest people in the world, at least partly because of, guess who? Joseph's wisdom 
you know, all the world came to Egypt to buy food. And Joseph sold, opened the storehouses and sold to them. And so Egypt gathered all this wealth. And that's just part of all this because he is the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He could be the next Pharaoh. He could be the king of Egypt, if you will. But compare that with the people of God who've been given the promises to their fathers. You know, it's a God they cannot see, but the God they believe to be the true God and creator. Yet they're in bondage. They're subservient to the Egyptians who are being enriched by them. You know, in, in uh, uh, Exodus, for example, in Exodus chapter 1, and, and again, as Moses is analyzing all this, and, and you know, you have to have some eyes willing to see, as we heard in Sunday school this morning. But in, in Exodus chapter 1, verse uh, 7, and it says, And the children of Israel were fruitful. So they're in bondage, yet they're fruitful, and increased abundantly, and multiplied, and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. And then verse 12 says, But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were greed because of the children of Israel. So here the, the, the children of Israel in bondage are multiplying. They're becoming exceeding mighty, and the, the Egyptians are afraid of them. And, 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 and they're greed by this. In other words, they have a feeling of loathing. Of sickening dread. Of this people that they have enslaved. Because, and here's the reason. They're multiplying. They're becoming mighty. So who's prospering, really? Are the Egyptians prospering? Or are the Israelites prospering? Even though they're in bondage. So despite the Egyptians being the the power class of people, they were afraid of Israel. But the bottom line is, they were afraid of their God. If you notice in verse 17... Pharaoh had commanded the midwives to kill the boys, but the midwives, says, feared God, did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. And the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said unto them, Why have you done this thing, and, he, and have saved the men children alive? And the midwives said unto Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively and are delivered, ere the midwives come in unto them. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. It came to pass because the midwives feared God that he made them houses. You know, the testimony of the Israel women was they put the fear of God. They put the fear of God in the midwives. And so, you know, as Moses is comparing accounts and he's looking at all this and he's saying, you know what? Israel has the blessing of God, even though they're in bondage. They're even even prospering in bondage. And it's to them that's been given the promises. And it says he had respect under the recompense of the reward. The word respect means to turn the eyes away from other things and fix them on some one thing. To look at attentively, to look with steadfast mental gaze. He began to look and to really examine what was going on here and how God was working and, and seeing God being worked out through the lives of his people. And, and that's what he set his heart on. You see, Moses looked at the pre- things of the present. You know, he had recompense of reward. That means payment of wages due. And Moses looked at the things of the present and what the end result would be. He did not just think of the present. You know what problem with too many people is? They just think of the present. They lack discernment to see where their present is taking them. 
You see, the present didn't really look all that great for Israel. However, the end result or fruit of the pleasantries of the world, that is Egypt, was death. It was without hope. The fruit of the suffering with the people of God was the promises God made to their farmers. And that promise wasn't, again, it wasn't just land. In fact, in, in Acts chapter 13, Paul spoke of these promises and, and when he was uh, preaching uh, to the Jews in one of the first cities that he traveled to on his missionary, first missionary journey. In Acts 13, in verse 32, he says this, And we declare unto you the glad tidings, how that the promise which is made unto the fathers, the fathers refers to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God hath fulfilled the same unto us in their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And so, you know, this promise concern, was concerning the Israel. Israel was, the pro, was, was given the promise of a redeemer. You know, this was the promise gave to Abraham. The promise made to Abraham was land, but also the promise of a son. And he was said, in Isaac shall thy seed be called. In other words, the redeemer would come through the line of Isaac. You know what? These were things that Moses' mother and father put in his mind. So as one takes account of things in the world, pleasures of sin, I mean, take a good look at the world. I mean, it's not rocket science. You don't have to be a drunk. You don't have to drink to see what drinking does to you. You don't have to take drugs to see what drugs do to you. You don't have to be immoral to see where immorality leads you. I mean, all I had to do is look across the yard. Oh, the man had a lot more money than I did. But no thank you, I didn't want what came along with his money and the love of the world. Three, four, three, three, at least three wives Children by all three of them. One he never married to, but whom he had to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars because, you know, he had it. And those children <laughs> cleaned out his house. I mean, when you like to have your living woman's children steal all your stuff out of your house... And then when he died, you have, you have all these women fighting over what he's got. And here's the kids. No, thank you. That's where immorality leads. That's where it leads. You, know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. You don't have to experiment. You know, the world says, well, you need to experiment a little bit so you know, so you understand. No, you don't. You don't have to. Yeah, the world has pleasures to offer you, but they are temporal without the promise of life. God has a promise of life that now is. You know, a lot of people have this idea, well, if you live the Christian life, you can't ever have any fun. That is a lie. That's a lie. 1 Timothy 4.8 says, bodily exercise profit little. But godliness is profitable unto all things. Having promise of the life that now is and... Of that which is to come. Your godliness will profit your life now. It'll keep you from all the things I just told you about at the neighbor. You don't have to endure all that heartache and misery and insecurity. That's the result of that. 
You know, Proverbs fifteen sixteen says, Better is a little with righteousness. Better is little with the fear of God the Lord than great trouble and treasure and trouble therewith. Proverbs sixteen eight. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues without So then we see also faith by faith he chose to leave Egypt. Now again, verse twenty seven. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now in some passages of scriptures, in Exodus, for example, it gives you the idea that he, out of fear or being afraid of Pharaoh, fled Egypt. In one sense, that is true, but in another is not. You know, really the reality is that by him choosing to not accept the title of the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he knew he'd have to leave Egypt. He was choosing by that choice to leave Egypt. Yes, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill him. But, and so he, at some point he did flee for his life. But when he made the choice to not be called Pharaoh's daughter, he chose not to accept all the, the, the riches and the, and the prosperity and chose to identify with the people of God. He knew by that, the day he made that choice that his days in Egypt were numbered, he'd have to leave. And he really, the reality is, he chose to leave by making that choice. It says he forsook. That means to depart from, to leave. And the idea here is this was a choice Moses made. He knew he would have to leave Egypt if he chose to identify with the people of God. It's the same as used in Matthew 21 and verse 17 where it says, and he left them. Talking about Jesus, he left them. It was of his own doing. So Moses made his choice out of fear of God, not out of fear of Pharaoh. You know, he was, it says here, not fearing the wrath of the king. The word wrath means anger forthwith boiling up and soon subsiding again. You know, his, his, his thinking was, Pharaoh's just a man. I'm not afraid of him. But I am afraid of God. I do fear God. And I'm a child of God. Do I need to fear Pharaoh? See, too often we fear what the world or compromising Christians or family members think and thereby fail to obey the commands of God or testify the truth. You know, we should not be concerned or consumed with what the world thinks of us. We shouldn't fear what they think of us. We shouldn't fear what compromising Christians think of us. We shouldn't fear what family members who are unsaved or are worldly think of us. We shouldn't fear that. We shouldn't show respect to that. See, this this is really showing respect or honor to man above God. And it says that Moses, he feared not the wrath of the king. For he endured. Moses endured. That means he was steadfast. He sustained the hardship. He sustained, endured the criticism, the ridicule, without yielding. Without yielding. 2 Timothy 2.3 tells us, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. James 5.11 says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job, have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. You know, Job endured much criticism. He endured it. Without yielding to that criticism. And it says he he endured this as seeing him who is invisible. You know, the word seeing here really means to see with the eyes. Now, how do you see something your eyes that's invisible?
know, Jesus said to Philip and John, um, no, I don't think it was, I'm not sure who this was, but anyway, Jesus said unto, I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. Uh, but it says he endured as seeing him as invisible. You know, as seeing as if he was seeing him. You may be able not to see God, but if you have spiritual life, if you have a spiritual eyes, you can see his work in creation. You can see him working in the lives of people. You can see him working in your own life if you have eyes to see. You know, Romans 1.20 says, For the invisible things, invisible things of him from the creation world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. You know what the invisible thing is? A creator. You can't see the creator. But every creation, it's just common logical sense. Every creation has a creator. Therefore, by the things that we see that are made, we can understand that there is a creator. John 3.8 says, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh or where it goeth. You know, I can look outside and hear the wind, but I can't see it. And I really can't tell. If I'm inside, I can't tell if the wind's blowing unless I look at the trees. And then I see the trees moving. See, I can see the effects of the wind, but I can't see the wind. But see, if you have spiritual eyes, you can see the effects of God working in a person's life, even though you can't see God in them. But really, you are seeing God in them because it's God that's working in them. And see, Moses saw the hand of God at work in the people of God, in the world. For example, First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for a son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which believed, which delivered us from the wrath to come. He said, you know, from you sounded out the world. I mean, for, for yourselves, you show what manner of entering in we had unto you, so that we need not really say anything. Your life speaks of itself, of God working. I've got to work. What was Paul saying? You know, I don't actually see God, but I do see God in your life. I can see Him working in your life. See, Moses endured seeing Him who is in the... He, he could see the hand of God at work. Because he had eyes that were willing to see it. You know, the problem with some of you was they aren't willing to see it. Because of the sin in their own life. See, it's God that gives power to the faint. Even the youths and young shall be faint and weary, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. You know, sometimes I can see God working, convicting people. I've seen God working, convicting people, and they're, and they're also they're resisting. I've seen people in the church service get up and walk at the invitation time. Not because they really have to go to the bathroom that bad. No. It's because they're under conviction. You know, with the things we see happening in the world, we talked a little bit about it in Sunday school this morning. 
is really man resisting God. Resisting God. Turning away from Him. The, you know, the great apostasy is upon us. Men's hearts have grown cold. They've grown indifferent. I see God in all that. Because God said it would happen. Men's hearts will wax cold. Indifferent. But see, Moses were willing to forsake the world and suffer affliction. Are you willing to forsake the world to follow the Lord? You know, Matthew, or Luke 14, 33 says, So likewise, whosoever you be of you that forsaketh not all he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Paul said in Philippians 3, 7 and 8, What things were gained to me, those I count lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, from whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. See, Moses, he... he he looked at the accounts and he said, hmm, this would be great for now. This would be pleasing for now. But the end of it is no hope. No life. It's death. It's hell. Over here, oh, it's suffering. There's hardships. There's trials. But there's the promises of God, too. There's hope. See, which will you choose? Which will you choose? Have you counted all but lost for Christ? What is the priority of your life? The world, the things therein, or your relationship with the Lord, who will one day judge you for the decisions you make. Which will it be? Let's pray.